Welcome to the Men and Hoodies podcast, where we take you on an excursion through everything in the sports world. Trending news, hot conversations, heated debates, and unlike shows such as First Take and Undisputed, things that you, the listeners, actually want to hear. Let's now go to your hosts, Brent Lyons, Roman Cleary, and Jake Stoop. And welcome to the 10th episode of Men and Hoodies. We are back with you today with another episode, and we are without one of our main guys in Brent Lyons. He is, um, as many of you know, in Colorado at a running camp for some of the best athletes in the country, but it's still me and Roman um, heading up the podcast today. Roman, it's good to be here. Yeah, it's it's great for us non-athletic folk to still be holding it down here on on men in hoodies. So I I wouldn't say that we're unathletic. (laughs) Whoop-de-doo. I mean – Jake, there's a reason why we were on the microphone and not out on the football field or on the basketball court or anything like that. Well, um, I, I think you should be on the basketball court. I mean, the first time I saw you no. shoot hoops, you made like the first six threes in a row. And, you know, everybody yeah. knows that injuries have plagued my career. And that's why I've had to retire from every sport. So I've had my. Hey, you know, maybe, maybe it was all part of God's plan at the end of the day. Oh, that's what I believe. And, you know, that's why we're here today, just growing uh, the media side of my love of sports. Um, but as we say that, let's kick off the 10th episode. So today, as many of you know, the NBA Summer League has been red hot. I mean, we've seen, you know, athletes come from all around the country and watch the the talent that is being displayed here in Las Vegas and even um, Salt Lake City in Utah. So it's been super exciting to see all these young guys go at it. Now, Roman, now that we've seen some action, do you do you have an update on any predictions on who's taking home the ring at the end of the week? I mean, I don't know. The Warriors could be a pretty solid candidate to win it. They seem to have a lot of talent. Moses Moody looks to just be flat out too good for the summer league at this point. He's just going crazy. And, of course, you have Lester Quinones giving everyone nice surprises. He had 19 points on the first night of the summer league, I believe. But, um, you know. Outside of that, yeah, the Warriors are looking pretty, pretty good. So I, I may go with them, but, you know, Grizzlies always looking good. I think the Thunder have done a decent job so far. Mm-hmm. Even though going back to the Warriors, one player that's been kind of disappointing is actually Jonathan Kuminga, uh, a guy who's actually kind of a part of that Warriors rotation of a team that just won the NBA Finals. And he just doesn't look great out there at all right now. So, yeah. Those are the three main contenders that I have right now. You know, the Warriors, the Thunder, and the Memphis Grizzlies. Yeah, I like those, and I love that you mentioned Moses, Moses Moody. had 34 the other night, um, popped off. And Kaminga, I'm not – I didn't expect much from him in Summer League, to be honest, because he was more of a role player, played a lot off the ball, and was really known for his defense. Um, so I don't expect him to have a huge Summer League, but I do like that they are exposing him to – where he needs the part where he needs to work on his game. And that's isolation, getting um, shots off the dribble and all that. Um, my prediction so far is actually a team that's 2-0 and so far in this summer league. And I think you can't overlook the Detroit Pistons. Um, without Jaden Ivey, for the majority of the game today, they were able to win, um, you know, in the last couple minutes against Washington. And then the first game they had where they beat the, Bla- they beat the Blazers, um, Jaden Ivey had 20. Jalen Dern had nine and a couple rebounds. Isaiah Stewart's good. Killian Hayes, Isaiah Livers. Like, this team is absolutely stacked. And the way that they're functioning together right now um, is definitely, you know, it, it's promising for the future. And I think that's what Jalen Dern said in his post-game interview today. Like, 
the, the bonding that they've seen and the chemistry that they've seen so far is only promising for the future. So I like them. I don't like them to win if Jay Ivey doesn't come back, which it's only a sprained ankle. Um, so depending on how Detroit wants to treat that, if he is able to come back, I think they win it. Um, but like you said, OKC and Memphis are the two that I have outside of Detroit that I think could win it. Um, Chet Holmgren had a fantastic game in Utah. Um, he played well. Um, but then he went against Roman. I know you want to talk about this more. <laughs> he went against the six six Kenneth Lofton um, from Louisiana Tech Conference USA and got bullied. I mean, it, I mean, anybody's going to get bullied by Kenneth Lofton, but for the you know, second pick in the draft and one of the guys that's most hyped coming in to see him get bullied by someone who is significantly shorter than him was pretty funny to watch. Yeah, and that was a concern that basically everyone had about Chet Holmgren. Uh, heading into this NBA draft process, everyone was saying, okay, he's he's small, he's scrawny, he's skinny. How is that center position that he likes to play going to translate over to the league? Is he going to have to switch to a four? And so far, the answer to that question looks to be yes. He just has not looked good, even in the summer league when he's ha having to defend, you know, bigger guys. I mean, if he's getting dominated like this by Kenneth Lofton, a second-round draft pick from... Uh, Louisiana Tech, like what's going to happen when he goes up against Joel Embiid or Carl Anthony Towns or some of these dudes that are just mega strong, mega athletic, can win in the post against virtually anybody. Holmgren just has to get stronger. I mean, honestly, there isn't much of a difference between a guy like Chet Holmgren and a guy like Amani Bates. The big difference there is that Chet Holmgren just is better fundamentally. He's just a better basketball player. He's much more in control. That's the reason why Chet Holmgren went second overall in the draft while a guy like Imani Bates is playing at Eastern Michigan. So, but, you know, same principle still applies there. You just got to get stronger. You have to get, you know, bigger playing in the league. And as for Kenneth Lofton, I mean, man, he looked really good in that game against the Oklahoma City Thunder. He, he's a guy that I honestly wish was, was playing on the other Memphis basketball team this upcoming season. <laughs> same here. Yeah. But still... Kenneth Lofton looking really impressive against legit NBA competition in the in the summer league right now. And he could be a guy that, you know, along with many other players on the Grizzlies and other teams could, you know, potentially be a surprise for tons of fans come October. Yeah, um, agreed for sure. And picking up where you left off on Chet, I think that the physicality that he does not bring to the floor compared to some of the other modern-day centers, like you said, Cat, Embiid, um, even Jaron, Steven Adams, like some of those guys, Miles Turner, like they bring the physicality and going against somebody like Chet, it's going to be very difficult for him. Now I think what he doesn't bring in physicality, he makes up for in his shot blocking and his rebound ability and his elusiveness down in the paint. And like you said, he has that outside shot so he can slide to the four. So I think he can be used in a variety of ways, and that's why he's a beautiful picket too for me, even if he doesn't translate into the most you know modern-day physical big. Like, forgot to mention Jokic and Giannis. Like, there's absolutely no way he's guarding those guys. But well, if he can potentially switch to the four, that could be huge. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. If I were the Thunder, I still would have gone with Jabari Smith because I think he's much more capable of playing the five in the NBA than Chet Holmgren is. Really? At this, at wow. This point. I just think Jabari Smith is just better built to play the five in the league. I think Jabari's built better in all ways, to be honest, but I don't know. 
Chet's shot blocking, I think, translates to a five best, but we got to see those other areas improve. Um, moving on to the next question um, in the NBA Summer League, who is the best under-the-radar standout that you've seen so far in the first couple games? I mean, we've, we've already talked about a few guys on, you know, with that so far, but, I mean, we got to talk about the performance that Josh Minot has had last mm-hmm. night. And what's really impressive about that to me is that he made two threes um, last in last night's Which game is... for, the Minnesota, for the Minnesota Timberwolves. I think he made two the entire season playing at the university. Yeah, I didn't know he could shoot. <laughs> the, th- the thing is that he really couldn't shoot at the University of Memphis. He was not a good college basketball player. Anyone with two eyes could see that. But to, to see the progression that he's really taken throughout these past couple of months, working his butt off, make just be to put himself in the best position possible, you know, it's really paying off for him. And now, if he continues to do stuff like this, along with his, you know, crazy mega athletic potential that, you know, we obviously all know that he has. I mean, to apply all that and, you know, take his game up to the next level like he's doing right now, apparently with the Minnesota Timberwolves, really, really impressive to watch. I know it's just been one game, but I do have to mention Josh Minot as another guy who's really stood out to me this summer. Yeah, and I think he wasn't able – I don't think – he was a bad college player. I just think that he was surrounded with so many good college players that it really shadowed his talent that he had and his shooting. The difference for me in those two threes that he made was the confidence, right? At Memphis, he's sort of hesitant to do that because that's not what he's built for. He's going to play off his strengths, especially at the university of Memphis where there's so much talent around you. Whenever you're in the game, you have to expose what you're best at. And that's what you bring to the table. And he wasn't able to do that because there are so many good shooters around him. So he was able to display that athleticism, which we saw um, in games like against Wichita State, where he just he popped off. So I think that's a good thing about, you know, like a college like University of Memphis or even a college like Kansas, Kentucky, North Carolina, those blue blood schools. It's a good thing because you don't have to be the best college player in order to expose your talents to the next level. You just have to commit and go all out and working to make it to that level. And that shows how talented um, your team was in college. I think that's a big thing for him. Um, but my guy also has only played one game in the summer league so far as Jaden Hardy. Um, he really stood out to me. He came out of high school as a five-star recruit and one of the top players in the country. And then yeah. he elected to go I, the G yeah. League route um, and play for G League Unite. Um, there he averaged 21-4-4, four and four, playing alongside guys like Dyson Daniels and Marshawn Bochamp, but, who both went first round, which is wild to me. And he averaged significantly better numbers – than both of those guys. But Dallas was able to go grab him in the second round. And I'm afraid for those other teams who passed up on him, that's a big mistake. And the concerns that he came into the league with was that he wasn't efficient enough on offense. He tended to turn the ball over than, you know, more most of the NBA teams would like. But overall, I mean, you cannot allow a five-star out of high school who averaged 22 points a game or 21 points a game in the G League to fall the second round. And I think he exposed that. And he really proved those teams wrong in his first game against Chicago. Dropped 28 points and shot almost 50% from the field. So when you look at a showing like that, especially after being disrespected and falling to the second round, to two of your teammates who averaged like less than 13 points a game, that's ridiculous to me. So I love what Jaden Hardy showed in his first game against Chicago. Yeah, Jaden Hardy, definitely a, another you know spotlight of this NBA Summer League. I know some Mavs fans are – really concerned uh, over losing Jalen Brunson to the New York Knicks and their unbeatable offer that they pulled out all the stops in order to offer him. But I'm telling you, if we see more 
of stuff like this from Jaden Hardy, uh, we may not have to wait long for Dallas to find uh, Jalen Brunson's replacement. Yeah, absolutely. And to me, he what he brings to the table, he isn't required to be that efficient to start out his career. He's got Luca around him. He's got Christian Wood around him. He's got Finney Smith and all these guys around him that can shoot. He's just got to go in and do his job. And that's mostly going to be required from him on defense and his passing ability. And both of those things are his strengths coming into the league. So I wouldn't be worried about it if I'm Dallas. Yeah. So, yeah, love Jaden Hardy. Um, you know, I love that you said Kenneth Lofton as well. Um, but we got to move on to the last question. Keep sticking with the Grizzlies, got to talk about the hometown team for a minute. Who has been most impressive to you so far on this team? Well, if you're talking about the most impressive player, I would probably say Kenneth Lofton, but we already mentioned him a decent bit. So I'm going to go with Jake LaRavia, a guy who was scrutinized by a lot of Grizzlies fans when he was taken uh, with the first pick, 19th overall. The Grizzlies gave up a decent amount of assets in order to land him. But he's he's really showed off his shooting stroke throughout the summer league. He's actually putting a couple on right now as we speak. And, you know, when the Grizzlies were facing the Golden State Warriors in these past playoffs, one of the big issues that came up for them was the lack of shooting that was needed to compete with Golden State. Um, guys like DeAnthony Melton, who was traded to the Sixers for David Roddy, um, Quite frankly, he just couldn't bring that. DeAnthony Melton, in my opinion, wasn't a very good player. He had a lot of, you know, versatility. He could do a lot of different things on the court, but he just couldn't do anything well enough. And that especially includes shooting. Jake LaRavia is a big stretch shooter, a guy who is needed if you're going to win an NBA championship in today's league. And he's really showing it off right now in the summer league. So I was a little bit skeptical, I'll admit, of the pick of mm -hmm. LaRavia first because there were other players on the board that I liked more, but seeing what he's doing in the summer league right now, contributing the way that he's, that he is right now, I'm starting to like it a lot more. <laughs> yeah. And we're seeing that in the NBA now where teams have their eyes set on guys. And at that point they'll let anybody pass as long as they get him. And that's what the Grizzlies are known for. I mean, I saw a post that was talking about Zach Kleiman and he's just going to do whatever he wants to do. And he doesn't care what other people think. Who, who cares? Trade DeAnthony Melton for Danny Green in the pick and, you know, just who cares about it? Who cares that you drafted, you know, a 16 guy who showed out some, but not a lot at Wake Forest. And he's going to come in and like you said, be one of those guys who I think can be an instant impact off the bench. Maybe he'll shove out Santi Aldama. Please, please shove him out. Up. Oh my goodness. Santi. So oh, no more. Uh, sorry, Clyman, but it looks like Aldama is like his first true miss. <laughs> Yeah, I don't I don't like the way that he's looked so far, but hopefully he can do that and come in and get solid minutes, especially in Jaron Jackson Jr.'s absence. Um, but a guy that you mentioned, the guy that we traded um, from the 76ers, we got their pick at least, and David Roddy. And when you watch him play, the size that this guy has and the speed that he has don't correlate at all. He is so quick with the ball, and he can dribble like nobody that I've ever seen with his size and make it happen on the court. Um, it's you know, it's been talked about a lot that he played quarterback in high school, and I don't know if that contributed to the Grizzlies' decision, but obviously playing quarterback at the high school level gives you that elusiveness and quickness that you need, and that translates perfectly to the paint and in transition buckets as well. So you're seeing a guy in Roddy that can shoot, can post up, can rebound over guys that are five to six inches taller than him, 
and he can dribble down the court at speed with, you know, some relative guards that he's going to be going up against in the NBA. So I love what we've seen from Roddy. I just think he's the total package, especially a guy that falls to 23. So, Yep, Memphis Grizzlies rocking it out. Summer League champions, hopefully. Well, we'll see. They're not... getting stomped right now. Yeah, I don't know. I, I, I don't really care who wins the Summer League, if I'm being honest. I'm, when it comes to that, I'm more excited just to see the guys that break out, the guys who could potentially make an impact, you know, once the NBA season starts. I mean, congratulations to whoever's going to win the Summer League, but uh, quite frankly, it won't matter that much in the long run. Well, I don't know. They're getting rings this year. A lot of players will be able to have that. <laughs> hey, 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 Mom, I won the Summer League. <laughs> oh, I'm so proud of you, honey. <laughs> hey, some people might be really happy about that, um, which I like that. I like that they brought rings back this year. Um, but th- this was unplanned. I want to bring up a little question that I actually heard in an interview with Taylor Jenkins about 30 minutes ago. But do you think, Roman, that the Grizzlies need to prioritize – getting a ring quick or what do you think? Because Isaiah Thomas was talking, which I'm not a big fan of Isaiah Thomas commentating. That's a whole different thing. Um, But Isaiah Thomas was talking about how, you know, some people in the organization are not in a rush to get a championship when the window is closing. And I didn't know if I agreed with that. Do you have a, a comment on that? To say that the Grizzlies championship window is closing right now is absolutely ridiculous to me. They just locked up John Morant for like the next six years, the championship window is open as long as John Morant is in his prime, healthy, and on this Memphis Grizzlies roster. It really doesn't matter. The championship window never closes until John Morant's impact even com- is coming into question. So to say that the Grizzlies need to rush or anything, I agree with that somewhat because, of course, you want to get a championship sooner rather than later. But, you know, if you want to say that it's, closing right now i mean what what are you talking about no yeah that's absolutely ridiculous totally agree totally agree and you're seeing you know sort of the rise of the next generation i think the grizzlies are on the younger end of that but they've been more successful so i totally agree um with taylor there that the goal is to win championships every year and we saw zach i don't know if you saw this room but we saw zach climb and say actually this morning that they're going to be aggressive with whatever fits their plan other than that, they're not going to make moves just to make them. And I think that a lot of teams are doing that and becoming complacent and they're disregarding how much keeping talent on your team can be worth to you, um, like the Brooklyn Nets. But Yeah, yeah, that's who I was going to bring up here. The Nets saw this opportunity to win now and do all this and that. And look where they are right now, like absolute chaos. They're about to trade Kyrie for Russell Westbrook. So, yeah a whole debacle going on in Brooklyn right now. So, yeah, they have they are the perfect examples as to why the Grizzlies are approaching this the way that they are. And I like that the Grizzlies are the team that's kind of approaching it differently than everyone else. It's a little bit frustrating mm-hmm. to me sometimes, going like, oh, my gosh, this guy would be so perfect in Memphis. Please sign him. Please trade for him or whatever. But, you know, once you think about it for a little while, you realize you, know, you just need to chill out. It's all part of Kleiman's plan. He and the Grizzlies front office have been operating as the best in the league for the past two or three seasons now. And moves like that are why. They're patience. They're taking time. They're over-evaluating everything. And so far, it's working out quite well for them. So I'm just going to let Kleiman stick to his plan. I'm just going to chill out and talk about it, do what I'm supposed to do. And he's gonna- <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I love that take. 
I really do. And, you know, a lot of the teams that we've seen win rings recently have been those homegrown teams. You've got to mention the Warriors, um, even the Raptors. A lot of their guys were homegrown. All they had to do was bring in Kawhi, which is their finishing piece, to get one. And I think that, you know, even the Cavs, like, they brought in LeBron back, but other guys were like Kyrie, um, Channing Frye, Tristan Thompson were all homegrown. So it really requires – you have to have homegrown guys, and then if you need to bring other guys in, um, respect to you if you do that and win. But I like what the Grizzlies have done so far. I mean, and before we get to the – or you can go ahead. You, you got to mention the Milwaukee Bucks in that as well. Yep, that too. They really took their time. I and, mean, of course, that last, pick, that last piece you mentioned, for them that was Drew Holiday. You know, you bring him in and you win a championship a year or two later, you know. Yep. That's where I think the Grizzlies are at right now. I think they're just waiting for that final piece to come in. And maybe they've gotten it already. We don't even know it. So mm-hmm. Maybe they've got their eyes set on somebody. But we'll see about that moving forward. And before we get to the NFC South today, which is what we'll be covering in the NFL, we've got to talk about the NBA money situation. We talked about this some last episode with Carl Anthony Towns grabbing a $61 million extension. But what do you know? Damian Lillard comes right back and grabs a $63 million extension. 122 million over the next, you know, two years following the end of his contract. I think overall that's like 400 something million, 450 million over his entire contract right now that he's been on with the Blazers, which is absolutely insane. So what Roman, in your opinion, what does this mean for the NBA financially moving forward as they continue to grow? I mean, it means pretty much what I said it means last episode when we talked about this. It just means that the best players in the NBA are getting more and more expensive by the day. You see that with the Blazers' other big-time signing this offseason. They gave Anthony Simons four years $100 million. I mean, four years ago, would a player like Anthony Simons have gotten $100 million? No, he would have gotten nope. something like $60 million or $70 million. But now, you know, when you're really good in the NBA – more so now than ever, you are going to make a lot, and I mean a lot of money. I mean, Jalen Brunson's getting $110 million. Anthony Simons just said he's getting $100 million. You know, and more guys are going to come like that. And when you're at the absolute tip-top of the league, whether you're winning championships or not, whether you're a top-ten player or not, I mean, you're going to make that much more. And we see that here with Damian Lillard making $63 million. <laughs> it's just absolutely insane to think about. This man is already 31 years old. <laughs> He's getting closer and closer to the end of his prime by the day. But the Portland Trailblazers do not care. (laughs) With Cat, you can understand it a little bit because he's still really young. But with Dame, he's been in the league for over a decade. His best years might just be behind him already. He's 31 years old. Blazers are not in a great space right now to contend for championships. They're honestly a rebuilding team right now, if you really think about it. I mean, they just lost their second big star in C.J. McCollum, and I guess they're hoping that Anthony Simons can eventually turn into that. And even if he does, you know, the Blazers... Jeremy Grant, too. Don't forget about him. Um, who, who'd you say? Jeremy Grant. Oh, yeah, Grant. But, like, even at, but like a big three of Lillard, Simons, and Jeremy Grant, that's not even going to get you close to a championship in today's league. And now you're handing Damian Lillard, you know, this kind of cash when you're in nowhere close you're, you're in no kind of position to contend it's just kind of a mind-baffling move to me but yes to answer your original question this just means what i said it meant already the nba the players the coaches everyone 
front to for everybody's getting more and more expensive. I mean, Kennedy Chandler, a second round pick, just got seven million dollars guaranteed. So, yeah, the John Conchar got six million a year for three years too. Yeah, the financial uptick just continues to increase by the days, by the hours. I mean, so yeah, and honestly. If there's a big discussion about if NBA players make too much money. And I think that's going to – that conversation is going to get more hot and more popular as we continue to give these players more money. But I think they deserve it. The competition that they have to grow up in, the amount of commitment that they have to give to, NBA, to basketball over their entire lives, I think if you can get to a level where you're top 10, top 15 in the NBA, I think you do deserve this kind of money. And what else are they going to use it for? I mean, pay your players. But with this Damian Lillard decision – I think with money becoming more and more um, available to these teams, the salary cap continues to grow as the NBA continues to become more successful and more worldwide. We're going to see that. And I think it's going to lead to a lot of bad decisions on franchises parts when it comes to giving these players so much money. I mean, in their eyes, it's like, okay, we've got all this money. Why not give it to our best player? But at the same time that could jeopardize so much more down the line because you've already locked down, this amount of money for this amount of years. And that counts out, you know, whatever wants to, whatever situation cap in the it happens where you want to pay somebody else, but you don't have that money. Injuries are also in play. Anything unpredictable is in play at this point after we went through COVID. So it's very, it's very difficult for me to see this much money be giving out, especially to Dame. Like you said, he's going to be 35 and making $63 million, which is blows my mind that that's even possible. Um, the highest contract in the league right now is Steph Curry at $48 million. And In a couple of years, that's going to be $15 million more than that. And that, that is just mind-boggling to me to even think that that's a reality in today's NBA, especially compared to other sports. Like, NBA is just blowing other sports out of the water when it comes to money, and per year at least. I don't know. I, I think baseball's still got a decent jump on that. Not per year, though. Not per year there's a difference there. I mean, they pay, they're willing to pay guys like Bryce Harper got a 10 year contract for like $450 million or something, which is maybe, I don't know, you do the math, but it's a lot less than 63 mil. So it's, it's just pretty crazy. In in total money over time, baseball is still ruling everything there, but you know, per year NBA has got that on lockdown apparently. And one thing, that you didn't mention with like and do these do these do these players actually deserve this kind of money or you not an argument that could be used to say they do is you have to consider the amount of money that these players are drawing in as well mm-hmm. absolutely tv ratings merchandising you know advertising and all, all this other stuff that it's that it's what their play their likeness their image that's what's drawing all of this money in so it's only right to give it back to them like these owners are making honestly billions off of what these players Mm -hmm. are doing why not give them like a few million you know of that because that's what this is you know from that like owner's perspective Mm -hmm. yeah and i think that um you know this is only the contract to play basketball this is not even including endorsement deals and incentives like that is just insane to me to think about how much money these guys are bringing in and I think that's one thing we need to emphasize, that this money is to play. This money is not to sit out. This money is not to rest games, which I, I get is a valuable strategy at strategy at times. But this, this money is expecting you to play the game of basketball. 
and especially a guy like Dame, I love that we brought him up, is a guy that tends to rest. You bring up Kyrie Irving and Kawhi Leonard in that category as well. Top 10 players in the NBA, um, arguably, but we're, we want you to play. And that's the reason you're bringing in all these ratings. So we really ex- we need to expect of them big things when it comes on the court. So Well, well Kawhi, Kawhi was injured. He kind of has an excuse. I know, I know. But even before that, he was very, very tense with that, with that topic as well. So, yeah, I mean, the NBA has got to do something. And with, like, players resting games, it's a big issue. Like, one part that of that that, like, not other people consider is that you got all these different people from all these different countries and states, all these places around the world. Like, there's a good chance that, like, say, like, I don't know, with the Los Angeles Lakers, like, they want to go see LeBron James play basketball for what's going to be their only opportunity to do that in their life. And LeBron just decides to sit out that game. Like, like that's kind of a kind of a, you a, know, a cheap low, low thing to do. I mean, Michael Jordan mentioned that one of the reasons that he tried to play every single game that he could was that he knew that there were people out there that came to see him play. And it's going to be like their only opportunity to do it. I think Kobe was doing the same thing as well. Like we see that's there's a trend of like the greatest players in the history of this game taking that into consideration when they're, you know, deciding whether they want to rest this game or not. Like, there's going to be fans here that are coming to see me play, and it's going to be their only chance to do it. I mean, if I re- if I sit out this game, if I rest, then I'm, I'm cheating them out. I'm taking mm-hmm. that opportunity away from them that they spent with their hard-earned money, you know? So, mm-hmm. Great point. Great point to bring up. There's, there's a lot of things surrounding this money conversation, and I'm sure we'll hit on it more um, as these players continue to get paid. Um, but now we switch to football, which is coming up fast and quickly, which I'm so ready for. I'm so ready to start fantasy football and start drafting and then look into college stuff as well. But today, for the third division that we have covered so far, we will begin talking about the NFC South. Big news from the NFC South was Baker Mayfield was traded for like a fifth or sixth round pick or whatever it was to Carolina. So now he will be um, battling it out with Sam Darnold and Matt Corral for that QB one spot. But we'll get to that later. That's just why we're jumping to this, um, jumping ahead of this division just because of the recent news. Roman, starting with you, uh, my favorite team, the Atlanta Falcons, who constantly break my heart. That's why we're starting with them to get them over with at the beginning. <laughs> um, but Roman, give me your take on what you expect of Atlanta this season. Well, Jake, we were talking a little bit before the show and you said you don't have much faith in your Falcons. And I question why. Like, why do you not have much faith in your team? Like, that's just that's, that's just saddening to see. But Blind I, faith is not not the move for the Falcons. That's all it, I'm saying. But in saying that, I am not a Falcons fan, and I have no obligation to have faith in them. <laughs> and as a result, I'm going to pin them at 3-14, and 14, which is unfortunately good for dead last in the entire NFC. <laughs> it's just... I, I hate to do this because the Falcons were such a talented team not too long ago, and they've really fallen off the map. They're going with Marcus Mariota, a quarterback this year. Obviously, that's not a great situation. Cordell Patterson, who is probably the best player on the entire team, he's at he's at tailback still, but he's not going to be able to help much with the guys that he has surrounding him. Wide receiver core has some potential, but it's, it's not amazing. you got Zacchaeus in the slot, Drake Long yep. outside. 
Ryan Edwards, who you signed from the Raiders right there. Auden Tate isn't mm -hmm. that you have for depth. And offensive line isn't great. Longtime tackle Jake Matthews on the left side. Jalen Mayfield, the former first-round pick. Matt Hennessy, Chris Lindstrom, Kayla McGarry. Not a great offensive line. But, hey, bright spot, Kyle Pitts. Probably one of yeah. the in football already. I mean, he can line up anywhere on the offense. It's going to be fun, you know, because you guys got a bunch of tall wide receivers. So Calvin if, Ridley, when he decides not to, to bet on his own team. Yeah. If the Falcons are um, going to be creating any headlines this year, it's going to be for how tall uh, Atlanta's receiving core is. That'll make for a fun clip or two throughout the year. And, but it's really the defense here that's the big issue for the Atlanta Falcons. Taquan Graham, Eddie Goldman, Grady Jarrett makes up your defensive line there. And Grady Jarrett, one of the better defensive tackles in all of football. He's been great for a long time, but outside of that, he's got no help. Lorenzo Carter, the former New York Giant. Uh, Michael Walker, Rashawn Evans, the former Titan. Arnold Ebikitti at, at linebacker is there as well. And um, secondary, A.J. Terrell, who actually was really, really good last season. Hopefully he can Yep. Casey Hayward, the former Las Vegas Raider and Los Angeles Charger. Isaiah Oliver from Colorado is in the nickel. Eric Harris and Richie Grant at the safety spot there. And, of course, you got to mention the OG Young Way Koo. <laughs> <laughs> Knocking all of them down. But in, in all seriousness, Arthur Smith's crew – is not going to have a great time on the football field this season. I have them winning one game inside of the division, and that is, I believe, at home against the Carolina Panthers, who we'll get to in just a minute. But, yeah, I'm sorry, Jake. I do not have much faith in your Falcons this year, and hopefully they uh, rise up sooner rather than later once again. Yeah, Roman, and I'm right with you um, with the Atlanta Falcons. I would love to say that, I've got them finishing better this season, but I just can't get myself to do it. Um, I've also got them finishing three and fourteen. Um, they finished seven and ten last season, but I think they totally regress now. Now that you don't have Calvin Ridley for some of those games, as well as you don't have Matt Ryan losing him to the Indianapolis Colts. But looking forward to next season, last place in the division, fifteenth in the conference, and I think the strong spot for this team is going to be the secondary with Casey Hayward, um, new bringing him in. Love that signing, by the way. Um, but also A.J. Terrell, who's one of the, you know, better rising defensive players in the league right now, which it, it was a debated decision in 2021 when you brought him in at 17. There were a lot of good offensive players left on the board, yet you went with the cornerstone and A.J. Terrell, who was slept on a little bit. Great decision now that you see him continue to progress. But this offense this year, I'm, ex I'm not expecting big things, but I am expecting guys to show out. Um, like Kyle Pitts, he had a solid rookie season. Um, we've also got Cordero Patterson, who last year was a Swiss Army knife for this team. He could do about anything you wanted them to. Um, they talked about moving him over to the defense as well, just because he's talented in every area of the game um, at this point. So I love to see him doing his thing as well, getting a shot in Atlanta. Um, Drake London is another guy. A lot of these big receivers, which I can see. But for me, it's not the bright spots concerning the future. It's the glaring holes. And when you look at the you know the quarterbacks in the division you've got Tom Brady you know holding down the fort in Tampa Bay looking forward to a good season there you've got Jameis Winston or Taysom Hill whoever you want to put there in New Orleans with a solid receiving core and then you've got the battle of Baker Mayfield Matt Corral or um, Sam Darnold in Carolina so you've got a lot of guys in the division that can play QB and then there's Atlanta just kind of chilling 
Desmond Ritter's got a solid future ahead of him, in my opinion. I don't know if he's going to be, um, you know, a guy that's going to be extremely solid moving down the line, but I think he is, you know, going to be a good quarterback. So looking forward, looking ahead, I think he's going to be solid. But right now, this year is going to be a stumbling block for Arthur Smith as coach. I think this is going to get him down a little bit, but he's got a promising future. But I think that this is not Atlanta's year by any means. No, I'm I'm really sorry to say that as well because like I I want to be the last person to put down anyone else's team after the thrashing that I suffered from Brent a, a couple <laughs> weeks back. But you know, Atlanta's just not looking great right now. The talent on their roster just isn't up to par with at least the one team that matters in this division, which we'll get to later on. So mm-hmm. yeah. Falcons. If it makes you feel any better, I had them finishing third before the Baker trade. Oh, that's that's good to hear. I actually did, too. Um, but <laughs> I kind of disrespected Carolina a little bit. Who we'll move on to next? Roman, predictions on Carolina. All right, so I'm not very high on the Carolina Panthers, as you're uh, about to see in a minute. I originally had them at 2-15 and 15 before the Baker Mayfield trade. Same. Originally, had them at, <laughs> I originally had them at 2-15. and 15. Uh, I now have them at five and twelve. Um, they win an extra three games with Baker Mayfield playing quarterback for them. But uh, if we're being real, the rest of this offense around him it isn't great. You got Christian McCaffrey running back, but he'll miss like three fourths of the season, so it really doesn't matter. Um, Thanks. Receiving core is looking actually pretty good still. DJ Moore and Terrence Marshall are there, and you have Robbie Anderson as of now. He hasn't retired yet. You got Hollywood Higgins, another player from Cleveland in there as well. Akeem Aquanu, one of the better tackle prospects of this past draft, is on the left side. Brady Christensen, Bradley Bozeman, the former Raven, Austin Corbett, the former Ram, and, of course, Taylor Moten, the longtime right tackle for Carolina. Offense is looking all right, but defense, not amazing. Brian Burns, one of the better edge rushers in football you got. Matt Ioannidis, the former 49er and um, Washington football team, Washington commander member, whatever you want to say, Derek Brown, who has been quite disappointing from Auburn as there is as well. Etour Gross Matos from Penn State on the defensive line, Shaq Thompson, Damian Wilson from Jacksonville. Um, secondary, not looking great still. You got Dante Jackson, who's been solid. J.C. Horn, who I like a lot, was injured in his rookie season. C.J. Henderson from Jacksonville still there. A massively disappointing first-round pick for the Jaguars and Jeremy Chin, Xavier Woods are at your safety spots right there. So kind of like the Atlanta Falcons, not a lot of real talent that's comparable to not only the rest of the division, but the rest of the league as well. And the the big difference between Carolina and Atlanta for me is that the Panthers just have a better quarterback. Mm-hmm. Same here. And I love the future of the Panthers. Like, Everybody you mentioned on that bad defense is like two or three years in the league. Like Derek Brown is what is an absolute monster at Auburn in his college career. We haven't seen that translate to the NFL yet, but if all these guys decide to put it together at the same time, we could see I've also got them at five and twelve, by the way. We could see them, you know, be better than expected. And I think that's promising for Carolina. But again, I don't have them doing that this season. Uh finishing twelfth in the conference, five and twelve record. Two and four in the division, taking a home game against New Orleans um, as well as against Atlanta. I've got them splitting with Atlanta this year. And I think there's a lot of pieces, like I just said, that you can put together and you've got a really solid team. And I think for Matt Rule, 
he's unfortunately at a weird spot for them because he came in to rebuild this team. But for some reason, he's expected to put this team together in two to three years when you've got all the young talent that you need, but that can't translate to wins as fast as Carolina is expecting, especially when you try to bring in Cam Newton at one point. Like, all of it was just a mess. And now you've got Baker Mayfield. Maybe he is going to translate to more wins. We'll see. Um, but I also had them at 2-15 and 15 to start out. Three more wins that I added to their resume, bringing in Baker Mayfield, assuming he'll start. But I really like where this team is going. Again, with Atlanta, though, not in this division and not this season. All right, are we moving on to the Saints next? Or, Let's, or, or the Bucks? Who you want to do? Okay. Uh, I'll, 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 go, I'll go New Orleans, I guess, next. Okay. Because they're an interesting team that I want to talk about. I'm pro- I feel like I'm really taking the low on them here, but I'm going 5-12 and 12 for the Saints. Oh, okay. Yeah, I'm just not – I mean, I'm not supremely amazed with their talent. And when I just went through the schedule, I don't think there are a lot of games on there that are all that winnable for them, if I'm being honest. I mean, Jameis Winston looked pretty good in, with what he was able to do for the Saints last season, but I'm really skeptical on how that is going to translate because we know how unstable of a player Jameis Winston can be at times. Of course, you have Alvin Kamara, who's pretty much Christian McCaffrey, except he can actually stay on the football field, so that's nice. <laughs> Michael Thomas is back. We'll see how that goes. Jarvis Landry's now in New Orleans. He was a supreme disappointment in Cleveland, and he honestly hasn't been very good since his rookie season in Miami. And you got Chris Olave as well. You, you had a needed receiver, but I don't, I don't know if I would have gone with Chris Olave at 12. With really? With still on the board. I'm really high on Olave. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, Trevor Penning at tackle. He was a first-round pick. We'll see how he ends up doing. Andres Pete at guard. Eric McCoy is a pretty solid center. Cesar Ruiz. We'll see. And Ryan Ramchek has been one of the better tackles in football for a while now. And the defense, it's it's getting good. It's good, but it's just getting pretty old at this point with Jordan uh, Cameron Jordan on the defensive line. David Onyemata, Shai Tuttle on the defensive line. Marcus Davenport. The, the really young bright spot edge from UTSA a few years back, Pete Werner and Demario Davis at linebacker, Paulson Adebo's there, Marcus May and the Honey Badger, the new signing previously with the Kansas City Chiefs. He's at safety as well. Marshawn Lattimore, CJ Gardner Johnson at corner. And I'm I'm just going to be honest. I think the Saints are going to take a huge step back without Sean Payton. I think his play calling and his overall offensive genius played a big part in why the Saints were able to win. You don't have that anymore, and I just don't know how good of a head coach candidate Dennis Allen was. I mean, Eric Eric Bieniemy was right there for the taking, and you went with Dennis Allen. I understand that he was Sean Payton's guy, but I feel like as an organization, you have to step in and make what, quite frankly, would have been a better football decision. I mean, Dennis Allen was not in talks for head coaching positions at all. He has no real, you know, credibility for it other than he was Sean Payton's right-hand right hand man, you know. And, of course, Dan Campbell was the guy, that guy for Sean Payton before that. So we'll see if Dennis Allen's able to do a similar thing here in New Orleans. So, yeah, I think there's a step back in coaching. Talent's just getting older. Quarterback's a huge question mark. So, yeah, that's why I'm lower on the Saints than most people probably are. Yeah, I got gotcha. you. 
And I like when you went through the roster there because, I mean, you mentioned so many good players. And I think, personally, uh, that's going to come together this season. Um, I'm higher on the Saints. I've got them finishing 10-7. and seven. Now, last year, they finished 9-8. and eight, And I don't see why this year they can't take a step up, especially if you bring back Michael Thomas. And then you talk about the young player in Chris Olave who absolutely popped off at Ohio State when he was there. Um, he was there probably a year too long. He could have gone earlier um, if the age restriction hadn't been there because he was so talented. So I could see him take a leap um, if Michael Thomas is not playing. But if he is playing, Michael Thomas was a top three wide receiver in the league before he got hurt last season and or sat out or whatever you want to call it. Um, but he had a great run there. And I think if he comes back, he can continue to do that. Um, and they should take a step up, in my opinion. Nine and eight last season for – a team with a questionable QB, at, whether it was Taysom, whether it was Jace or, uh, you know, Jameis Winston. Um, you've got all these guys coming together, and I think the defense being old and experienced complements this offense so well. Alvin Kamara didn't play every game last season, and but when he did play, the production was absolutely there. I mean, average like – I'm a big fantasy guy, 24 fantasy points a game at some points. And just all, all around, I think they're solid, and I think it can come together at the same time. Like C.J. Gardner-Johnson and Tyron Matthew and those guys in the secondary can lock up anybody. And I think this team has swagger as well. I think I've got them squeaking, squeaking into the playoffs at the seven spot. And I think when you compare them to the teams that I've got them behind, um, which I can mention, you know, one or two of them right now, I've got them ahead um, of the Titans. Or wait, that's the wrong, wrong conference. I've got them ahead of the Cowboys and the 49ers. And I think they're better than both of those. Absolutely. And I, I'm really high on the 49ers, but I'll get to that later. Um, but I, I've got them ahead of them because I think this team can come together. And Dennis Allen, like you mentioned, has had coaching experience um, in in Las Vegas or what was formerly Oakland. He's been there before. He's done that before. He's the guy that Sean Payton believed in and advertised when it came to the coaching decision in New Orleans. So I could see it working out. I trust Sean Payton's, you know, decision-making when it comes to passing on the torch to somebody else. So I could see it working out, and Dennis Allen has had a huge part in what, you know, this team has been in the past as well with Sean. So I could see big things for New Orleans this year. Uh, uh, the 49ers, really? We'll, we'll see. It's the, it's the QB. It's the QB question marks. If they start Trey Lance, I don't think he's the guy. But that's, but, but that's where coaching really comes into play. That's the big difference, and I don't think – I don't know if Dennis Allen is going to be a good head coach or not. I mean, Sean Payton is was such a brilliant play caller, and I think he got New Orleans' talent out of a lot of situations last year, and he's not going to be there anymore. And with Alvin Kamara, another factor you have to consider that I forgot to mention earlier, there he could get suspended at some point because of his actions from the Pro Bowl. So, in a What did he do with the Pro Bowl? I'm not educated on that. Oh, he – he pretty much like beat someone badly. And, oh, uh, oh, yeah. I do remember that now. Yeah, okay. yeah, arrested, all that, and that could definitely you know warrant a suspension at some point if the NFL decides to do that. And if Alvin Kamara is forced off of the field with, because of a suspension, the you know abilities of New Orleans's offense just hinder that much more. So I mean, we'll we'll see how it goes. I could definitely be wrong about the Saints, and honestly. I didn't think of them as a 5-12 and 12 team, like, heading in to, you know, my schedule predictions, but I just went in, picked the games, and turns out I only gave the, the Saints five wins. It's just how it went. 
So, I mean, we'll see how it goes, though. I think I think they can put it together, but honestly, for me, that's assuming Michael Thomas and Alvin Kamara are going to be on the field. And that was one of the top teams in the league a couple years ago. Obviously, they had Drew Brees, so that's a little bit different. But the defense wasn't as solid and all-around good as it is now. So, we'll see how it comes together. But a team that not arguably, not at all, has has it all together at this point is the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Um, they, I'm pretty sure you have them finishing first as well, unless you have them at four wins. But, Roman, what you got on the on the Tampa Bay Bucs? Woo, boy, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. <laughs> I mean, what's there not to like about them? They virtually have a high-level starter at almost every position. They got the best front office in football. I mean, they, they really got it rolling in pretty much every facet. They got a quarterback who's super old, yet somehow continues to get better every season. <laughs> the Bucks are just firing at all cylinders right now. I love we got Todd Bowles now at head coach instead of Bruce Arians, but I really think that I don't I don't really think it's gonna matter. You still got Leftwich calling the plays at offensive coordinator. I am super high on the Buccaneers. I have them finishing I have I have them finishing not only first in the division, but first in the conference at 15 and 2. Oh wow. Yeah. I think Ooh. we're gonna That's crazy. That's big time. Keep going, keep going. Yeah, I mean, offense. Just absolutely loaded. They're, they do not have one weakness, in my opinion, on the offensive side of the football. Obviously, you got Tom Brady, still a top-five quarterback in the league. Leonard Fournette is back on the rise. Mike Evans, Chris Godwin, Russell Gage is a really, really solid three. Chris Godwin, Evans, two of the top receivers in football. Jalen Darden is a, a really interesting guy as well. Tyler Johnson's still there. And this offensive line is just amazing. Donovan Smith, Aaron Stinney, Ryan Jensen, Shaq Mason from New England, and, of course, Tristan Wirfs, who's been an all-pro tackle since day one. Just insane. William Golston, Vita Vea, Akeem Hicks on a defensive line, Joe Tryon, uh, Devin White, and Levante David, maybe the best inside linebacking duo I've ever seen in my entire life. And, of course, Shaq Barrett off of the edge, Carlton Davis at corner, along with of Jamel Dean and Sean Murphy Bunting and, you know, Antoine Winfield, Mike Edwards at your safeties there. This is a team that just pretty much doesn't have any weaknesses. I don't have them going to the Super Bowl. I think they're going to get knocked out at some point in the playoff. But, I I mean, this is a team that I think is just going to do extremely well in the regular season. Uh, I mean, like, I just can't see them losing a ton of games. I, I gave them 15 wins for a reason. I don't see any sort of regression coming from Tom Brady. And I don't think the loss of Gronkowski is really going to matter because you still have Cameron Bright at tight end as well. So, yeah, we'll we'll, we'll see how it goes with the Bucs. But I, I'm really taking the high on them. They're going to dominate this division, and they'll end up finishing first in the conference. By a game, but still first in the conference. Yeah, I am... I'm super high on the Bucks as well. Finished 13-4 and four last season, and that's what I've got them finishing at this season. I think they replicate what they did in the, in the regular season last year. I've got them finishing first in the division, uh, second in the conference due to tiebreaker with another team that we'll get into, but uh, that should be pretty self-explanatory seeing what happened last season. Uh, but we've got them finishing in a tiebreaker, and like you said, no weaknesses at all. Tom Brady came back. He said he was retired, but nah, he wants to come back. And who wouldn't when you've got a receiving core of Chris Godwin, Mike Evans, 
Russell Gage, like you mentioned him, you know, out of Atlanta and everything. And you've got Cameron Brait, who's going to take a step up as he's now filling the shoes of Gronkowski, Gronkowski, who had a solid season last year. He missed some games, and that was where we saw Brait shine in that role. So I think he can do the exact same thing and step up this year in his absence. And then the running game, like, I, I mean, there's not much to talk about about this team because everything is so good. Like, it's so hard to discuss what's happening in Tampa Bay just because, you know, I don't see Tom Brady regressing this year. I mean, I think we've all learned that to count out Tom Brady is a mistake when its own. I mean, he almost passed his career passing yard total last season, and I think that with a receiving core like this, he could almost do the exact same thing. So I don't expect the Tampa Bay Bucks to regress at all. I don't have them growing in the regular season, um, but I, I think they replicate that. I think losing Gronkowski hurts a little bit. Um, you know, I've got them finishing 5-1 in the division, 9-3 and three in the conference, all these stats you can mention. But Tampa Bay is going to be one of the frontline teams next year, and I think anyone who expects anything different does not know anything about football because this team's going to be really solid. Like, what a job by Jason Light to just be able to gather all of this talent, somehow keep it together for, like, season to season to season. I mean, the Bucks went from a team just a few years ago like it, it thought it looked like they were going in a direction of just forever mediocrity. And now they've been run by the best front office in the league for the past couple of years. They've won a Super Bowl, and it's definitely possible they win another one this year. I mean, anything's a possibility with this roster. It's all just a matter of just getting through the playoffs and winning it for the Bucs at this point. If the Bucs win the Super Bowl this year, it wouldn't shock me. I don't have yep. them, but. If they do go, I mean, it won't shock anyone. They're they're that good, and they're going to be that good for a long time, as long as Tom Brady is a quarterback. So, yeah. yeah and if if they go in a couple games in the season and they have holes, I totally expect them to fill it. I mean, they had what seemed like a solid running running back core a couple years ago with Ronald Jones heading that up, and they're like, nah, let's just, let's just bring in Leonard Fournette, one of the top running backs in the league from Jacksonville and he's I mean he's been one of the best running backs in the league since nothing's changed so I totally expect them like you said the smarts that they have in the front office can absolutely make up for any lackluster players that they have on both sides of the ball I mean they're going to get it done at the highest level this season there's there's really no arguing it so yes um NFC South, as expected, is Tampa Bay Buccaneers versus the field. They're somehow going to lose a game to the Saints because they just can't solve them for some reason. But, you know, it is what it is. I had that too, actually, losing in New Orleans. I, I, I ha- The game I actually have them losing to New Orleans is at Tampa Bay. Oh. <laughs> you really think some 5-12 and 12 team is going to come into Tampa Bay? Really? I mean, Ooh. yeah. We'll see. We'll see what happens. It's going to be interesting to see how these play out. Um, but, Roman, just give us a little rerun of your, your placement here for your NFC South. All right. So, the NFC South is going to be the Tampa Bay Buccaneers show. Um, Atlanta Falcons, 3-14. and 14, Carolina Panthers, 5-12. and 12, New Orleans Saints, 5-12. and 12, And, of course, the Bucks at the top of it at 15-2. and two. Mm-hmm. Me and Roman have the same records for the Falcons and the Panthers. The Falcons finishing three and fourteen, a four-game regression from last year. Then you've got the Panthers replicating last season at five and twelve, at third in the division. Then you've got New Orleans taking a little bit of a step up, and it were one game at least, um, finishing second in the division behind the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, who repeat last season and finished thirteen and four. 
So, yeah, that's what I've got. Um, we are done with the sports talk today. Roman, what does your week look like? Give me a little rundown. All right. I don't think I have too many entertaining things from this past week. I mean, last week, you know, I was dog sitting all by myself. Had some fun with that. But, you know, fam returned to the house this week and I had to get readjusted to having a multitude of people in a giant house along with two puppies. So, you know, mm. I guess that was fun. But, you know, chilled. Chilled out for the most part. You know, just went by the days, enjoying the week. Uh, I went to go see Thor Love and Thunder today. You know, I thought it was enjoyable. No spoilers, obviously. I thought it was really good. Not as good as Ragnarok, but, you know, still really good. There you go. I still have yet to see that, but I need to. I've heard some good things about it. Um, for me, my week um, was also sort of chill. I worked a lot. Um, leading up to next week, which I will be um, at a student leadership conference. Um, it's actually called SOU 201 in Washington, D.C. Um, hearing from a lot of prominent people um, from there. I think we're visiting the National Press Club. Um, I'm not too familiar with Washington, D.C. locations. Um, we're also visiting like a super famous cemetery. I forgot what it's called. Um, but a lot of stuff there that's going to be super fun hearing from, like I said, some of the most prominent people in the country when it comes to leadership, um, especially in a biblical way. So I can't wait for that just to, to learn all about that, especially moving into senior year for me, which is going to be huge. Um, just learning how to lead well at all levels, um, whether that's next year commentating at Arlington or even at student ministry, just all those things look, I'm looking forward to next year that I've got coming. So. Can't wait to uh, get on a plane and fly to D.C. That's what I'm looking forward to next week, and I can't wait to give you a rundown of all that happened as well. Yeah, I believe we have the AFC South coming up next time, I suppose, when we're mm -hmm. whenever we get around to this again. Oh, yeah, I can't wait. Who's in that division again? It's the Titans, the Texans, the Jaguars, and the Colts. Ooh, I can't not wait to get into this division. Yeah, I'm just, I'm just excited to, uh, you know, you know, get started with college, I guess. I get started on that August the 26th at the U of M. So that'll be fun, I guess. You know, trying to mm -hmm. see what the, my hope, my post high school life brings me. You know, mm -hmm. you're going to go, go, you and Brent are going to go dominate at Arlington. You know, shout out to Brent <laughs> once again. He couldn't be here today, but, you know, doing his thing in Colorado. Mm -hmm. Hopefully he'll be back sooner rather than later, but we'll see how it goes. Mm hmm. Yeah, can't wait to have Brent back. And like you said, hey, you got to miss out on what's going to be a fun senior year for, for the boys. Um, but we're, that wraps up the episode today. Thank you for watching the 10th episode of Minute Hoodies. We thank you for tuning in and listening to the whole thing. Um, sorry Brent could not be here today, but we hope uh, me and Roman gave you an episode to enjoy. Um, so we will see you next time, bringing you the AFC South predictions, as well as some other updates in the sports world. So, yes, we thank you for watching, and we will see you next time. Yeah.